Welcome to Inspired Insights, where we share our conversations with industry experts as we give insight into workforce trends and changes impacting HR and financial professionals. We will cover everything from employee engagement to compliance and regulations impacting your workforce success. Welcome, David Shar to the program. David's a friend of mine and a friend of the show. So I was I was talking to Brittany Eisenman, who is another friend of the program as well, that we need to get something to recognize you guys that have been on like three and four and five times, you know? Yeah, T-shirt or something. <laughs> T-shirt or something. Like, then Saturday Night Live had those five-timers, like, club things or whatever, but uh, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> But this is a part two of our Inspired Insights Summer Series, and and what we're going to talk about today is talent development, and I can't think of anybody better to have on than than David Shar. So, David, do you want to maybe just real quick for those that maybe don't know you, just quickly introduce yourself, what you do, and and uh, talk about your organization for a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So I am the founder and president of Illuminate Performance Management Consultants, or Illuminate PMC. Although my marketing people are now just saying, just go by David Shar, illuminate, <laughs> illuminate potential or something like that. I don't, so I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing, but uh, <laughs> basically, basically most of the work that I do in illuminate, my background is in industrial organizational psychology. And specifically, I study a lot of things about leadership and, and workplace culture and the actual work that I do takes the form of keynote speaking, running workshops, half day to multi-day training sessions and courses, and then some full-scale consulting as well and a tiny bit of coaching. And then as a side gig, I get to teach at the University of Maryland's Master's in Industrial Organizational Psychology program, which is a huge honor. And I just yeah. love doing that. I love yeah, doing that. That's great. Yeah, and one of the one of the courses that I teach there is in talent development. So when you were asking me about let's let's talk about the future of work, I'm like, why not talent development? Because perfect you know, something that was just discussing with my students. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I know that. Again, we're doing those who don't know we're, we're doing a four part series on the future of HR and and talent development is what we landed on today. So you know, maybe David to get started, you know, how do you see talent development really evolving into the future, you know, to meet the changing needs of organizations and, and the, and the workforce at large? Yeah. So I don't know about you, but it is crazy. You know, I recently turned 41. We were just talking about starting to yeah. feel old. Yeah. And so I don't know if it's, if it's that like hitting that milestone in my life, or if it's in reality that that we seem to be moving at like light breaking speed right now. The world is changing. seems like every single day, the world has completely changed. I mean, when you think about going from the pandemic, which was all anybody talked about, and then all anybody talked about was the great resignation. And then all anybody talked about was quiet quitting. And we're on to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. It's just, it's just changing so rapidly and it's so volatile. We talk about like a VUCA world. And, and that's certainly what we're in right now, but more than more than ever, maybe. And then at the same time, we have all of these technologies, which are just blowing my mind. I'm having a lot of fun with them, but they also open up so many questions. Like, what does this look like, you know, 10 years from now? What does it look like 10 weeks from now? Yeah. You know, that's, it's, it's really crazy how things are, are changing. And so it's important to be able to 
adapt as we go. One quick case study for you are these teachers where they put AI recorders. They basically record them teaching their course. And, and as they're teaching afterwards, the AI spits out a whole bunch of coaching notes for the teachers. And the teachers who have these things in their classrooms showed improvement. I forget, I don't have the article right in front of me, but they showed improvement in various ways because this AI was just taking a recording and took the transcript and gave them feedback on all these different aspects of their teaching. And it's like, whoa, I mean, wow. talk about talent development. You know, you can coach without even having another person on the other end. Now, whether that's the right move or not, for various reasons, you know, that's that's a good question, but pretty cool what we're capable of doing right now, let alone a month from now or a year from now. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's, you're right. It's, it's, it's rapidly changing it breakneck pace right it's going it's everything's changing so quickly and yeah that's and i think you're i know you're talking about ai when you mentioned that and, and i think you guys on your other podcast on um, the work culture debates i think you guys just did a, an ai discussion correct yeah yeah we yeah. had, a, we had a, a futurist on there with a simon anderson yes. he's, he's amazing and we asked him you know how he felt about this and he said you, you know we we asked him a lot of people are saying they're excited a lot of people are saying they're scared what do you think and you think the futurists would probably say that they're excited. <laughs> He's more scared, which wow. is a little worrisome, you know, for all of us, I think. Yeah. Well, I think things, and I'm coming at it more from a, from a, from a sales perspective, but things like, you know, email cadences and just kind of even marketing too, like getting marketing information out about your, your company, your organization. A lot of that stuff is can be automated, right? And we, we're seeing that happen. But so where, where does that, how does that fit into like to, to sales in the future, right? And, and talent development with someone like uh, who's the sales and marketing professional, what, what do you do to continue to help them to develop in their skill set when AI is, is kind of knocking at the door saying, I can, I can do this. You don't have to pay me. I can just do it. Right. You know? So it's just right. a, an interesting parallel in you, when you can see what's going on out there. So I don't, I don't know if you have any insight on it and maybe not just sales or marketing, but really just other industries and other maybe just professions where you're seeing AI kind of start to get ingrained a little bit. Yeah. You're looking at like copywriting. I have to admit that I was on the fence about bringing in another, another virtual assistant and AI took that person's position because AI yeah. could do the things that I need the virtual assistant to do for what I forget what chat GPT 3.5 or four, the, the premium chat GPT is like 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month. Yeah. Around you know, there. Yeah. Like, so I think, I think it, it certainly will be changing a ton of jobs and replacing some jobs. Interestingly, the new sort of hot topic that I'm hearing more and more, and I think we're going to, continue to just hear more about it is learning agility, which mm. is this, this idea. So that I was on a panel with uh, an executive from, from Hogan, Hogan being one of these, you know, one of the largest uh, personality assessment and it's based on the big five personality traits, a lot of scientific evidence behind it, et cetera. But this individual was saying that they have not been able to put their finger on one trait, one personality type, one thing that differentiates between good leaders and bad leaders. He said they they found plenty of things that differentiate between who becomes a leader and who doesn't, right? Mm. Certain traits will lead you toward leadership or not. But the one thing that now we seem to be zeroing in on as the differentiator between successful leaders and unsuccessful leaders is learning agility. 
and that is becoming more important every day as things are changing so rapidly. Because unless you can have, and even if you do have a futurist on your payroll, there's nothing you can do to control, you know, where we're going. Right. So, so being agile with, with your learning, being able to take risks, to try new things, to always be observing. And so you see things off on the horizon, you see the things right in front of you, to be hyper-focused on feedback, constantly be asking for feedback, constantly, you know, from the HR perspective, ask people, like get feedback, make sure that your managers are asking their people, you know, how am I doing? Get feedback all the time, but also have structures in there that, that feedback can flow every direction within the organization because that type of stuff is so important going forward to be able to sort of observe where we are and, and test out different things and then kind of experiment as we go. And that only works if we're, if we're open to failure, if we're okay with failure, you know, Etsy, you know, Etsy, I don't, I don't yeah. know well, but I've been on the site a couple of times. I don't know what sure. I'm doing on there, but I've been on it. <laughs> Etsy has a annual reward or, or uh, this annual reward that they give to their individual or team who made the biggest mistake that year, right? The big, who had the biggest failure, they give them a three-armed sweater as the reward, <laughs> right? So, but, but the, the idea is that they're rewarding risk-taking. They want people to, if people are, are afraid of failing, then they're not gonna take chances. They're not gonna experiment. And if you are afraid of failing, you're not going to learn. So from a talent development perspective, we need people to feel safe because otherwise, you know, it's, it's like what they, they tell you, never tell your kids, you know, when your kids bring back an A paper, never tell your kids you're so smart. Tell your kids that you're proud of them for working so hard, right? Mm. Because mm. if we don't have this sort of mastery mindset that we're not actively celebrating, trying and growing and experimenting, then what happens is people shut down and they don't take chances. Right. And they and when something's difficult, they won't even they won't even try it. Well, in mm. a world that's that's changing so quickly, it's so important that we are constantly experimenting with new things and taking chances. Mm. Yeah, so there's so much there. That's, a, that's such a great answer. And I wrote a couple of things down, but when you mentioned, you know, feeling safe, right. I, I had that exact same thought that, and I, and I was curious what your opinions are on, you know, how, how does culture fit into all this? Cause you mentioned, you mentioned culture and what, and what you do, right. But how does culture fit into talent development? And cause it sounds like it's critically important to me based on what you said. Yeah. Talent development is this interesting thing because, you know, especially when we think of talent development, especially when we think of it in the limited role of training, you know, but it's much broader than that. But within the broad role, but especially within training, we think of that as a tool, right? We're going to teach people what they need right now. And of course, the organization would want to invest in that because we need people to develop these skills, et cetera. But talent development is more than that. Talent development is also an engagement tool. Right. Because mm. during the Great Resignation and the, at the peak of that 2021 time frame where everybody seemed to be leaving their, their jobs, 63 percent of employees cited a lack of development as one of their primary reasons for leaving their job. You know, this idea of we talk so much about burnout, but this idea mm. of languishing where you just sort of feel stuck. 
And nobody likes that. We have this self-determination theory has this, they argue that there's three fundamental innate psychological needs, needs that every person is born with. And one of those is the need for mastery. It's the need for competence, right? That we, mm. that we want to feel competent. We want to feel like we're growing. We want to feel like we're learning, that we, that we have the tools that we need, that we have the knowledge, skills, and abilities that we need. And so when we're thinking about attracting people and retaining them, this having real development opportunities is really important. So that is so good. So good. What do you think then, David? Is uh, when you do, when you look at HR, what what can and you know what can, what can HR teams do to make sure their you know their employees maybe some tips or tricks that you've seen out there lately that HR managers and, and directors can do to make sure their employees are are feeling you know like they're learning and developing and, and continuing to get better. Yeah, I think first of all, it comes down to having conversations, right? Mm. I mean, there there should be mechanisms in place for people to communicate and to put in their requests for what they need. And by the way, so much of this development that people need going forward is not necessarily just training for what I need in this job right now, but also developing them overall for skills that will be useful for them to move throughout the organization and even to move beyond the organization. But think about what that does for morale and and building people up. I once worked with an organization that paid the top of uh, what they could pay within that industry. They were they were paying top dollar compared to everybody else in their industry. And, and what would end up happening is that people would have these golden handcuffs. So they'd hit the top and they'd be done developing and mm. they couldn't leave. They couldn't go anywhere because without taking a taking a big pay cut, you want to make sure that you don't get stuck like that because, you know, as I often say, the only thing more expensive than turnover is turnover intention without turnover, right? If mm. I want to, if I decide that I want to leave a job, but I feel stuck for any reason and I stay, that's really not good for anybody. And sure. so let's give people tools that develop them as individuals. But in terms of the specifics they, that HR could be doing, especially if you're in a talent development role, teaching your your leaders i think leaders have the biggest gap here because of how much things have changed so making sure that they are that they're acquiring those skills for learning agility that they are you know you are doubling down on training in emotional intelligence and employee wellness those things are so important mm-hmm. now more than ever especially uh, you know, if you think burnout's bad already with all of the uncertainty that comes with, you know, all of these changes and this new technology, and am I going to have a job in six months? It's more important than ever that we continue the push toward wellness at work, you know? Yeah. So the, a lot of that is is in the hands of your leaders and, and we really need to work on that. But then also the thinking of talent development in the broader source, we want to think about what about the institutional knowledge you know that sits within our organization with the with the use of ai and the ability that they they have these apps coming out and these and these companies coming out who are developing these things where we can take our institutional knowledge base and we can attach ai to that and it could be searchable in such an easy way anything within the organization that you need to know can be accessible 
we're, we're very close to training being able to completely and very naturally sort of take a path depending on the needs of each individual within the organization. I, I think so many of these things are really important. There's so much out there already. And if I was within an organization working within HR right now, I'd be keeping an eye on on all those technologies because they really can support you. So, and something that you said earlier about asking for feedback, asking, you know, often for that, would it be your recommendation that, you know, that employees should probably, you know, not wait till that performance review comes up, right? You know, really, you know, once a year, you make sure that you're, you're right, constantly asking for feedback and constantly, you know, getting that from your managers. I mean, do you think that's something that really employees and managers can, can start to do is start to, you know, increase the frequency of those types of review type meetings, right? Yeah, that annual review, it's got to go away, you know, to, to have to wait a year to hear feedback mm-hmm. about something that, that came up, you know, eight months ago and nobody mm-hmm. ever talked to you about is right. just, it's, it's ridiculous. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It shouldn't work that way. People need more feedback. The problem is that when we have not everybody's working within the office and things like that, it becomes even more difficult to give that feedback, but it also becomes even more important to give that feedback. So mm. yeah, you know, off feedback should be given regularly and it should not wait for an annual performance review, especially right. one that is tied to a raise or a bonus because that defeats all of its purpose as well. You want feedback to be about growing individuals, but in order for that to happen, we need to change at, at a culture level the way we view feedback. And and that starts with giving a ton of positive feedback. Feedback shouldn't just be corrections and it shouldn't just be annually. It's It's got to be this learning organization where it's all about helping each other grow. And there's also all these apps now that, that allow feedback to be given laterally within an organization. There's great, there's huge upside to that sort of thing where people can celebrate each other as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Support doesn't just have to go one, in one direction. Mm. And something, something you said too, David, about being not, not being in the office, right. And, and still, still, I, I saw an article earlier today on LinkedIn that talked about, I guess the great compromise, like mm-hmm. instead of the, going back to the yeah. office, but still having the ability to work, you know, from home too. And I think you said a second ago about that's it's difficult because not everybody is in the, in the office, right? So how can managers really increase, you know, the, the level of, I don't want, I want to say this correctly, but the level of engagement, I guess, you know, and is it something that is it going to require more people going back to the office to, to achieve, you know, some of these goals around talent development? I mean, what do you see kind of playing out and kind of, kind of make you be futurist a little bit here? Like, what do you see happening in the next, you know, 90, 120 days or so where is it going to be more of a return to the office? Cause we're seeing that in some, some respects. I'm just curious what your opinions are on that. Yeah. So there's a popular model for talent development that, that says that 70% of learning happens sort of on the job. 20% of learning happens socially. You know, those, those conversations in the break room, the mentorship, the coaching, the, the, the talking through things with each other, and then 10% in formal sort of formal learning sort of environments. But that 20% is a big percentage that if we're not careful and not keeping communication open, and, and maybe we only open lines for communication for very technical communication, then we could be missing out on a lot of that. I think that there's 
some really cool technologies that are out and maybe will become a little bit more prolific as we go. You know, the VRs and the ARs and mm. all of this sort of, these sort of things. There was a recent meta-analysis about VR training that showed that it, it works pretty well. That's provided that it's, you're using it for the right kind of thing. You know, it's got to mm. translate, but, but it's working pretty well. But in the low tech world, what I find is that I am being hired a lot to train teams on communication with communication challenges, collaboration challenges, conflict management, and trust issues. And so much of this is happening in virtual or hybrid or some sort of mixture of these teams where they're not seeing each other face-to-face -face like they used to. You know, I, I have a little Rorschach test that I give when I'm, when I'm doing these trainings. I put up a giant picture of an exclamation point and I ask them, what do they see? You know, because you, you may send the email thinking that it means I'm excited, but the person <laughs> on the other side thinks you're angry. Or right. Attitude, right. Sure. So, so on the low tech side, it's, it's as simple as we need to learn how to communicate in a new way, because all of this still is new. We have to learn about our biases and how much we're reading into things and when it's more appropriate to pick up a phone instead of sending an email. There's humans have communicated face to face forever. And suddenly you can have this, what what's really kind of an intimate or important relationship with a coworker and never see them face to face, you know? And, and so that's, that's a very new thing. And, and it, it, requires everybody getting on the same page, having a mutual understanding, a, a sort of a, a contract of what it means. When do we reach out to each other using these different mediums? This understanding like, I'm going to, like if I mess up, when I mess up, please give me a call. I wanna know so that we can, we can get beyond the misunderstanding, things like that. So that's the low tech piece of this. Uh, mm -hmm. But on the high tech side, there's a lot of technology that's coming out to support these things. Mm. So do you think that it's, um, so I guess, what do you see companies that are doing this well? Like, have they put up, up like policies in place where to come into the office to interact more or, you know, to use technology and get together as a team, you know, once, once a day or those types of things. What, what do you see that companies are, are doing the, a good job at this? What are they doing? Yeah, I think it's really complicated as you see, because organizations that said everyone can work from home are suddenly calling everyone back. Right. I can tell you that that's not a good situation, no matter what. Whichever side you're on, flip-flopping on that is just not a good situation to be in. But I think, you know, even before COVID was a thing, even before all the teams were going and, and had to figure out how to, how to work virtually, what we had in terms of the research, which oftentimes were sort of international teams, because that's who was working you know, for a long time, that's where you would see teams that were virtual in nature. But we saw in the research early on that there was always an issue of trust and building trust and likability and that cohesiveness with the team. And so sort of the understanding was that when you had a virtual team, you would bring people in together for an in-person launch of that team. And that's mm. where you would build up this trust and they'd get to know each other and, and then you'd send them on their way. I think organizations that are mostly virtual, I think that, that one thing that, that really helps is to bring them in 
for, you know, annual, semi-annual, whatever it is, you know, if there's, if there's conferences that are important for your organization to bring people in, I know a couple organizations that I just, I just worked with an organization that's an association. So they do conferences, right? But that wasn't enough for them because everybody's working when they do the conferences, they'd all be together when they were, when they were putting on this conference, but everybody would be working and not having time. So they, they added on this annual retreat for the employees mm. and, and it was just focused on the employees. But there's, there was a, another client of mine who, this was, this was pre-pandemic, they were fully virtual and they had a couple conferences a year that were really essential for them to be at as attendees. And, and I think they sponsored some of them or whatever. But they would get a private room and they would they would have private meetings and team building things, et cetera. But just finding that excuse, making that excuse to have everybody come together, mm. even though you're always going to have some of the curmudgeons saying, no, I don't, you know, you told me this to be <laughs> virtual, whatever. you know, but, but uh, we don't always know what's best for us and for us as a team. And I think, I think that little bit of pushback, having people come together, I think is for the greater good. Yeah, that's a great idea. What resources do you see out there, David? I mean, like, is there places you can point people to go to if they want to learn more on talent development? Like, like you know, some authors or you know, maybe some YouTube stuff that you can maybe point our audience to. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good question. So this is a great book. If you if you like this, this is a good combination of the science and art. It's actually called The Art and Science of Training mm. by Elaine Beach, and it's a, it's just a great book that breaks down talent development and training if this is something that that you're interested in but yeah and and then as a resource just the ATD the Association for Talent Development if you're not involved with them they have some really great resources and yeah there's there's a there's a lot out there fantastic and, and maybe just to kind of quickly wrap up a little bit here and I, mean, I kind of put Brittany on the spot a little bit the, the other day, but maybe fast forward, you know, 2030, you know, 717, 20, we're recording here in July, 2023, but maybe fast forward here to the end of the decade, you know, what are we talking about? You know, and I know, again, putting you on this futurist hat, you know, what, what, what do you see? Maybe if, if we look at what's going on in today's environment, business environment, HR environment, talent development environment, you know, what, what are we talking about since we're, this is like more of the future of, of HR, yeah. what are, what are maybe in your brain, David, and in your opinions, what do you, what do you see happening in the, here in the next you know, trends and things in the next five, six, seven years? So this is off the cuff, but I, yeah. <laughs> I, I truly believe that if we, I believe that we have an opportunity to fix what work is supposed to be and that we're and that we have this opportunity to to create work environments that are that people are passionate about being a part of again. I think that, you know, and I've probably said this to you in the past, but one of the things that I study is this difference between harmonious passion and obsessive passion. Obsessive passion is think pre-pandemic. Obsessive passion is every break room and LinkedIn feed, everybody with their humble brags about how much they're working and, and how many hours I haven't slept in four days. I'm working on this project, but, but it's like this, this Puritan work ethic that, that you wore as a badge of honor. And the truth is that it was never really healthy. And so then we fast forward to now when you've got all of this pushback with on reddit.com, one of the fastest growing discussion forums on the internet was anti-work 
entitled anti-work where people complain about just being a cog in the machine at their work. You've got quiet quitting, people, people saying, I'm just going to do the bare minimum and, and get through the day. But I think that there, I know, you know, from the research I know, and, and because I've experienced this myself, there's this middle ground and it's harmonious passion. It's being passionate about your work, but being able to close the laptop at the end of the day without any guilt. You know, you mm. pick it up the next day and harmoniously passionate employees are just as successful as obsessively passionate employees. But in a lot of ways, they are far more successful. They don't burn out as much. They don't, they have better life satisfaction. They have better job satisfaction, greater job satisfaction. They have, they have all of these different things. And so I think, I think that we could figure it out. Like the really great companies could figure that out and fix the problem where it's no longer, you know, workaholism or mm. quiet quitting, but it's something in between where we get back to focusing on our mission and our value, not just our values, but our value, what we do, mm. how we impact the world together. Because I, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for work. I got into IO psychology for a reason. I, I, I think that the workplace is this beautiful concept where we can bring diverse people together with diverse sets of skills and, and together we can have this magnified impact on the universe that we couldn't on our own, but, but driving it back there so that people have this sort of autonomous pull toward their work. They really do truly appreciate and love what they do. And it comes with all that mutual respect, et cetera. Okay. So that's my utopia. The dystopia version is that there is no more work as we know it. And we've got sort of like a basic income thing going on and mm. that the vast majority of people that are employed are, you know, it's, it's all gig economy based. It's, mm. it's micro organizations partnering with each other as opposed to, as opposed to these large organizations that are with, with employees. Wow. That's the, yeah, that's a whole episode all in itself right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, Dave, can you share with the audience how someone can get in, in touch with you? Yeah. So I love my LinkedIn and I love, I love talking shop on there and talking about all these things that excite me and hopefully your listeners too, like a uh, talent development, leadership, culture. So they can find me there, linkedin.com slash David Shar. And then on my website, illuminate. PMC for performance management consultants, illuminatepmc.com or davidshar.com should get them there as well. 